Hello and welcome to episode 108 of the NFL Scotland podcast. As the COVID opt-out come in, we're all in on the AFC East. My name is Cameron Hobbs. And my name is Paul Mitchell. Is Sam the man in New York? Is Cam the man in New England? Will Josh do enough to earn the dosh in Buffalo? And what will the Dolphins do with Tua? Also, we're recruiting for a new scriptwriter. <laughs> Quite right, too. We'll be chatting about some more details of our week one event this year. And this is your last chance to win a spot in our NFL Scotland Fantasy Football League. So let's start by talking a little bit about our week one event. And Cameron, we've got the beer pack all ready to go. People have been buying them. That's been a great success already. Yeah, definitely. Really pleased with the response of this so far. Uh, we've had some really good feedback. I, I, we're really pleased that people are excited about this. Working with Stuart Brewery, we've got the six beers. We've got a hot sauce. Uh, we've got a, a limited edition NFL Scotland schooner glass that perfectly fits the bottles or the cans. Let me tell you, it's perfect. Uh, I've been sampling my beers out of it. It's a great way to be drinking them. Obviously, as part of that as well, you get entered into some exclusive events. People who buy the boxes um, will go into an event, uh, a competition that only people that buy the boxes will be able to win a prize. Um, we have got for that, uh, and it's been put forward by the Highland Wildcats. Uh, we've got a Jacksonville Jaguars jersey, one of the ones that's been worn on on the pitch by one of the. I, I think it's one of the ones um, from the flag bearers. So it's Jacksonville Jags proper kit number one, signed by D.D. Westbrook. So this is an exclusive, limited, um, you know, offer. It's absolutely brilliant. This isn't your standard kit by any shape of the imagination. This has been worn on the field and it's been signed by D.D. Westbrook. So only the people that buy uh, the party box will go into a draw and somebody that buys a box will win that top. It's it's absolutely brilliant. We've got other exclusive prizes as well to come for that. So very excited. Make sure that you check our Twitter and Facebook pages for other information. They are limited edition, so snap it up. Make sure that you're part of it and that you don't miss out. Also said at the top there, Paul, that um, this is your last chance to, to win a slot in our fantasy football competition. We've said for the last couple of episodes that uh, what you need to do with this is send us a direct message on Twitter and in 200 words or less, tell us why you deserve a place in the NFL Scotland Fantasy Football League. This is the first year that we've ever done it. We've had quite a few people come forward already, a couple of good nominations there. So uh, looking forward to seeing who's going to win. What we're going to do is we're going to whittle it down to the top three and then we're going to let Scott Cooper, former Scottish Claymore, Scott Cooper, who's part of the Fantasy League, pick the person. We're not going to give names. We're just going to give the pitches to him. Give him the top three pitches. Scott will pick the one he thinks is the best. That person will join the Fantasy Football League and we'll let you know all about the draft details and stuff like that. But with the COVID stuff, uh, we'll be doing the draft as near the season as possible, I think. Yeah, that makes absolute sense. So... We're going to look at the AFC East to do that. We're delighted to be joined by a name and a voice you'll all recognise as we welcome back Nat Coombs. It's also great to be joined again by East Kilbride Pirates head coach Jamie McLaughlin. Good evening, gents, and we're glad that you've joined us for this AFC East preview. Yes, and let's start first of all with Nat, because the Dolphins are obviously an exciting talking point. So I'm going to lead you with this question. The Dolphins can make a total gain of X number of wins this year if... Well, you know what? First things first, that is the first time in living memory that I've ever started a conversation about the forthcoming season in relation to the Dolphins with exciting in the, in the same sentence, uh, <laughs> certainly directly relating to Miami as opposed to 
everyone else in our division. So yeah, it is exciting. It's exciting times. But 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 let's not get carried away. I uh, I think expectation needs to be very tempered with Miami because it clearly things are on the up, and we'll talk about how and why. Uh, and I guess ambition and objective for this season. But I think everybody's getting a little bit carried away about just how far we can progress in, in one year. Let's look at the elephant in the room. I'm here, we're going to hear it in a minute, I'm sure, from Jamie about why the Patriots uh, are going to be unrecognisable <laughs> for the last 20 years. I don't think they are. I think the Patriots are a dangerous commodity once again. I know that even in the last week, X number of their, their players, veterans have... Um, sitting out the season i think that's actually going to be a big loss but i think they're going to be dangerous the bills are obviously going to be dangerous the jets <laughs> the jets are going to be the jets but the this idea that miami is suddenly going to rebound from uh, a losing season automatically to a winning season albeit a losing season that went on an upward trajectory i think is a big big jump for a lot of reasons firstly Start with the quarterback position. I don't think Tua starts week one. I think it, particularly because of this offseason, I think that would be crazy. I think uh, it, we're in safe hands with Fitz. I think the longer Tua can sit this season, for me, the better. And that, to me, is a statement of we're still in transition. If we improve year on year with our record, if we make it at least competitive to get to 500, if we, for most of the season, are in an outside wild card race at least we're on that graphic that we see on the screens and we aren't ruled out after about 10 weeks i think that is absolute progress i love the signings that we've brought in in particular uh, i think uh, you look defensively at byron jones i love that pickup uh, offensively i'm really really there's a lot of upside there i think you know you look at breeder you look at how i think there's a good good upside there i think we're going to be a strong running team uh, a solid running team. We're going to be competitive. We're going to be capable. But are we a playoff team? I don't think so. So it's interesting. You know, there's so many young players have brought in out of a very busy draft. You know, two are the one that's grabbed the headlines. You know, the number of exciting players there. Um, you look beyond that. Austin Jackson as well at left tackle. You look yep. right across the, the line and there's a, a rookie at every single position on that offensive line. So this yep. is the building blocks. And you see that from a, t a team like the Colts that did it the wrong way around. And in essence, they put all the pieces in, didn't protect their quarterback. And then no line. Yep. you see Andrew Luck broken. Um, great, great point. So you've got lots of pieces on the running game as well. I thought it was interesting to see Howard and Breeder pick up Two very capable backs who can do a lot of yep. running and have proven yep. that, which means that Tua, early doors, if he does come in, can hand that ball off, hand it off, hand yep. it off if he needs to, to keep it going. Does, oh, sticking on the offensive side for now, is there enough talent at wide receiver to allow Tua to thrive in his first year? Well, yeah, and that kind of goes back, I guess, to how much action he gets, right? And look, I think Devontae Parker is... Uh, he's definitely a, a, a capable receiver. Do I have him as a, an automatic number one? Would he be a number one in most teams? I don't know. I think with Gesicki at tight end as well, I think that things could improve there. But yeah, no doubt the depth uh, or the lack of depth at the receiver position, huge issue. But that's again why I think we're going to be play it safe, hard defense, run first team. I think I think that's what... You know, we're looking at, and obviously Chan Gailey likes likes that combination. We know the kind of football he likes to play, right? So, uh, no, I don't think there is enough around it, but I think you make a great point about the line. And and equally, that, I think, accentuates my position a little bit. This is the most unorthodox offseason we've ever seen. It's not even like the 2011 holdout in, the, in that respect. 
players could still go, uh, you know, and train at the, you know, uh, uh, and and were in decent shape by the time they got to camp. Like this is uh, on its head, and rookies inevitably, or and young players, and in particular rookies, are the ones that are gonna suffer the most from a lack of orthodox preseason. So any team with a, a, a significant number of new faces and particularly new young faces is going to struggle and Miami are that team you're absolutely right it's a long-term game plan when the fire sale happened this time last year essentially and into last season and Laramie Tunsil got dealt and then Minka got dealt everybody was getting dealt I think there are quite a few Dolphins fans thinking hang on a minute what is the plan here because at some point you've got to keep your young elite players and build around them you can't fire sale everybody and that seems to be what what they were doing but so far so good in principle the 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 volume of picks we've got the fact we had three in the first round i think we would have taken two if we'd had one in the first round frankly but we didn't we had three so it was a no-brainer that we were going to take him we didn't even have to deal any picks to get him uh you see quite rightly say austin jackson in that rich offensive line draft class it is one of those players, along with four or five others, that came out that you hit. You talk to college Knicks and you talk to draft Knicks and say, "Is he? A, is he as much as he can uh, can uh, project a sure thing in the NFL?" Yeah, he seems. You know, he seems to be one of those players that if we if things go to plan, he's going to be in our line for for a long time. So you're absolutely right. A lot of building blocks, but everything about the makeup of this offense uh, uh, tells me. They know it's going to be a transitional season. We obviously can't decline. And we I think we, it would be very disappointing if we didn't improve on our record, although that's not wholly difficult. Uh, I don't think it, it will be anything other than a transitional season. So it's interesting you say that about the record. And it, in a way, you know, the, the Dolphins ended the season kind of on the up, like you said. They, they seemed to pull some wins. And it went from tanking for Tua to not needing to tank for Tua. And 5-11 right. at the end of the season is not a great record. But actually, start of the yeah. year, we anticipated it might have been a hell of a lot worse. Yeah. There's a danger, I guess, with that, that there is so much transition and so much turnaround there that, you know, you might not see much. How many extra games do you think they need to win to feel like a, a, a good step forward? I think it will be disappointing if we're not 500. I mean, look, I'm interested in what Jamie and Paul think here. Like, what is a what would represent good progress for 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 the Dolphins? I think if we're not 500, particularly because the season ended that way, which I think is why there's so much buzz. Right, we started last year with the fire sale, with realistically, in many people's eyes, a one and 15, two and 14 season, and of course, we started the season. Uh, it's struggling, right? But the fact that we turned it around and Flores turned it around and not solely on his shoulders, but of course he's the boss and we ended strong. It's like so much in life, right? You end strong and it, and it creates a, a, a very rosy picture. And as such, I think with all the new faces and all the new additions and tour, that's why there's a huge cause for optimism. But yeah, I'm keen to hear what Jamie and Paul think. I think if we're not eight and eight, I think it's going to look like a disappointing season. See, now I, I could try and sell you on a 4-12 season being a success if <clears throat> the performances are there and right. the, these draft picks have come through and they're all showing promise. I think you, you'll you get a certain leeway this year because of the lack of preparation, so you might drop some games early. I, I think this year for Miami, it's more about the performances that you see from these draft picks and showing that you can go forward rather than saying win an extra two or three games by a, you know, a field goal or something like that. As long mm. as you're not getting smacked every week and you use the, this as a year forward, yeah. I think 
I think there's an evaluation. Sometimes, you know, I, I'd be saying, head coach, safe, you're fine, as long as you don't do anything completely stupid. You know, let's use the year, let's bleed these guys in, let's get them bedded in, and let's get the culture right, which always hasn't been right in Miami. Mm. And then we might be in a better position to move. Because I think we're a lot clearer as well regarding the Patriots, whether the Cam's a success, and whether the Bills have been a flash in the pan or not. So I think that you've got to put them into, into account as well. Yeah, I think there's there's been a lot of really dynamic players, especially the last five years coming from the draft. Um, you know, Deshaun Watson and, and Mahomes and a lot of these guys come in and it used to be the case where it was viewed maybe as a bit gimmicky. Um, now they're coming in, they're seeing a lot of success and typically speaking, I would maybe a bit negative about the fact that you go get the quarterback number one, there's so many holes all over your team and the quarterback number one, we saw what happened to uh, David Carr in Houston when that was the case, they went and got right. him and he died behind that O-line. And the same issue, yeah, but, luck, right? no line. Yeah, exactly the same. Um, but when you see... Uh, the draft where you have three first round picks and you get the tackle and you get the guard and you start to get a little bit nervous when Tom Brady leaves because now a team looks like they're making football decisions, not business decisions necessarily. Um, and that, I think, I always get a little bit nervous when a team looks like they're making sensible choices. Um, it's not, it's not, you know, everybody knows it's never, it's never particularly sexy to pick up um, the offensive lineman in the first round or um, in the second round but you have so many picks and you draft in a way that looks like you've got some sort of strategy set out to build for the future it's a pretty terrifying thought um, no one really knows what a lot of these, these dead dynamic quarterbacks are coming in to do but if Tua is anywhere near as successful um, as some of the guys that have gone before him like Deshaun Watson like Pat Mahomes it is a pretty rough ride for the rest of the AFC East dealing with that. So, yeah, I, I don't know about this year. I think there's a lot of questions this year, but I could totally see I could t- totally see Miami becoming a bit of a, a problem down the road. No. Yeah, I think that's a really great point that uh, if you look historically at, uh, and you know, you know, both Jamie and Paul made really great points in terms of the dysfunction at Miami for a long time. And, you know, Adam Gaze in particular, and I'm sure we're going to talk a lot about him in a bit, that it just felt like a very dysfunctional end there. But also front office decisions where we have historically overpaid for players uh, and, and gone down that free agency route of, of going big. And uh, it's like desperation tactics, really. That rarely works, you know, it rarely works. Now, I know that potentially Byron Jones could fall into that trap, but from what I understand, talking to, talking to uh, on my ESPN show, Dallas ESPN uh, beat writers who who watch the Cowboys week in, week out, they don't think that's going to be an issue. They think he's going to he's going to be one of those players that will, will lock in and, and keep rolling. But I know that has been our mindset for a long time. Pay the players and then they, and then they don't turn up anymore. Whereas this is completely different. We sold or we dipped out all our players and, and have invested in primarily in, in youth, right? Um, with low-risk upside players like Jordan Howard and Matt Breeders. So I think I agree with Jamie. That, that demonstrates to me that this is a really there's a clear plan here. We are building something over over a period of time, and there's a, there's a strategy. Whereas beforehand, for a long time, it was kind of hit and hope. It was just a bit scattergun. And whether it's NFL, whether it's football, the sports that we love, any team that has a clear blueprint typically does well. And the ones that don't, you know, can spray the cash around, but it rarely works. It's interesting as well, I think, with this division, where we look at the progress that the Dolphins might make, and actually a large part of this will not just come down to 
the step forward that the Dolphins have made, but in the case, certainly, I think, of two teams that we'll talk about, is the step back that they're going to make as well. And actually, the gap from bottom to top in this division, which has been so dominant for so so very long, I think it's uh, the year 2000 was the last time you got to go back to for a Patriots losing season. Uh, and even then, <laughs> you know, it's, it's only just... Um, <laughs> it's a depressing look, to be honest, when you look at it from a competitive point of view. Jamie's sitting there with his Edelman jersey in the background, <laughs> loving it, thinking, what are you talking about, Cameron? Stop ruining my fun. But I think it's a lovely yeah. segue to now move into that because it's about the Dolphins moving forward, but also it's about the 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 Patriots potentially moving back. So let's start, Jamie, first of all. Um, Cam Newton is the number one quarterback for the New England Patriots and is the right man because sorry Jimmy <laughs> I, I'll answer that it's because he can do things that Tom Brady couldn't do because he's already told yeah. us that so he tells us so, yeah exactly, yeah, exactly. So, like, like yeah. not win Super Bowls yeah. uh, <laughs> oh, go for it Jimmy defend so him I have I have never been so scared going into a season <laughs> Even in 2008, when we lost Brady, we thought we were going to have him. Um, this one is is particularly terrifying. But no, I think um, there's always been amongst sort of Patriots fans. There's always been the argument like, is it Brady that's doing it? Is it Belichick that's doing it? Is it a combination of both? And I think we're going to find out now. Um, the one thing that I would say um, before we get into the Cam situation is that looking back over the past two years, and even including the last Super Bowl win. Brady wasn't particularly great. Um, some games, yeah, he would, you know, would have a good game. He's the greatest player of all time, but it, you could see the decline, and that became very prevalent, especially last year when you know we couldn't score at all. And people always, um, people always give it the oh, you know, but Brady lifts those players around him. Well, either that wasn't the case, or it certainly wasn't last year because those players weren't particularly lifted. The offense was going into the end zone only if it started. Um, on the opponent's 30. Luckily, the defence that we had allowed that to happen fairly regularly, but um, it wasn't really vintage Patriots. So, with Brady leaving, I'm not particularly... Um, I don't necessarily think there was a lot of success was going to happen um, if he had stayed. So, as much as I would have liked a fairy tale ending as a Pats fan and as a massive Brady fan, it, it's not going to happen and we might be better off for that. Which brings me neatly to Mr. Cam Newton. Um, if you had asked me at the end of the season whether I thought this would be a good thing, I would have said emphatically no. I will now say emphatically no. Um, I don't <laughs> I don't feel any better about the entire thing. The only thing that I think potentially could be an outcome of this is the fact that there wasn't a lot of inf interest for Cam Newton. He is a pretty driven guy um, by all accounts. Like he, he you know, wants to win. You can see that it, even if it was a spat after the Super Bowl loss, you could see how irate he was and how much he wants to be successful. Um, and he's a really dynamic player, although maybe a bit old to be that dynamic now. So um, there's a few things, uh, a few things going on with that. I think one of the big pieces might be Josh McDaniels. So historically, when we've seen um, Brady not in, be it the Jimmy Garoppolo era, Gar Garoppolo looked. Um, Everyone thinks he looked brilliant for those those first few games when Brady was suspended, but actually he was all right in the Arizona game, and then he really lit it up against Miami before getting injured. Um, so there was that. Uh, we then got Jacoby Brissett in, 
Um, he looked good under Josh McDaniels as well. Uh, used him much more dynamically. There was a lot more, you know, designed quarterback running. Even scored on a on a naked boot. Um, not the sort of thing that the Patriots are famed for, or maybe have done any more than once over the past two decades. Um, so, I think if Josh McDaniels is uh, has a good season, if our coaches have a good season, which is a terrifying thing to say as a fan, but if the coaches have a good season, um, and in particular if Josh McDaniels can can scheme up some new things, um, some dynamic things, we can maybe see Cam Newton do a lot more than Brady ever did. Um, but aside from that, it's a nervy period. Um, we could get, you know, me, 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 Cam. He's definitely been seen in the past. If we get that cam, we could be in a lot of trouble because that's not how the Patriots operate. Um, that's how locker rooms uh, become chaotic. And there was already you know, hints of locker room chaos when Brady was here over the last couple of years. So um, admittedly, Brady involved. So what we can't do is we can't go from that to more of that because I don't think we have the strength in the roster. So that's my, my sort of take on that. I think it's, it's tough to say. Um, if you were to push me, I would probably say ten and six. I don't think we'll be as. Good, I love the way. I love the way that will be bad. I love that kind of negative build up for the Patriots to the end. The end game is ten and six. It, <laughs> see when see when you're conditioned when you're conditioned into yeah. only wins happen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, I mean, the last oh, time we lost the division, we were eleven and yeah. five. I mean, I don't. You, we like, went eleven and five. I think the answer to this question is you went eleven and five with Matt Castle as your quarterback. I mean, so it's but, funny. It's funny. Bill Belichick gets a lot of credit for that, but what people conveniently forget is an eighteen and zero roster backed Matt Castle up. So yeah, right. You, like Belichick always is given the credit. Oh, you know when Castle came in, he was the Patriots were still an eleven and five team. The Patriots had come off a exceptionally good season the year before. Most of the roster was fairly intact. Um, Brady had gone down, but it wasn't as if we had, you know, Jags all over the place. There were, there yeah. were a lot of talent on that roster, lots yeah. and lots of talent. Yeah, and you look at and you look at where you're at now, and the, I, I take your point about Brady. I'm interested to hear that because I think it is uh, clearly a divided opinion. Is Brady in decline? I, I, of course, any any quarterback, even you know, the greatest of all time, is going to at 42 years old is going to be in decline but the question is how much so and how much is it down to a, a dramatic decline versus a lack of fluency and ultimately ability around him the second highest receiver for the patriots last year was james white it was james white and he's a hell of a receiver out the backfield but james, when james white yeah. was highest in yards with 645 you know it's no surprise that that Brady's performance last year was 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 poor by his his high standards. I wonder whether there's not this similar situation here with um, what I was saying about Miami and if Breeder and Jordan Howard step up and Gesicki gets up to where he should be. You know, teams when you're looking at the upside, that all has to come together. Then you're contending. The same thing here, right? If Finkiel Harry steps up, Mo Sanu, who I thought was a brilliant signing. You know, I still think could have a could have a bounce back year and a strong year if 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 if, and that's the issue, I guess, isn't it? That a lot yeah. needs to go right. Well, there's a lot of um, <clears throat> the Patriots have built themselves up into two decades of of what is actually happening behind the scenes. Um, but there there's an awful lot of uh, buzz around, or there was a lot a lot of buzz around the idea that. To be in Brady's inner core is a very difficult thing to achieve. You have to be nigh upon perfect um, in order to gain his trust. And I think a lot of, uh, I follow a lot of interest what happens with a lot of the receivers that we've got because 
we had talent on there. Pe- people would, um, I heard a lot of people talking about, you know, the Patriots had no talent in the receiver. The Patriots had plenty of talent in the receiver, but Brady was very, very reliant on guys like Edelman. Um, yeah. And when you are as accurate as Brady is, and when Edelman is capable of getting open even for a yard, it was never a problem. As in my opinion, the accuracy for Brady declined. The actual numbers weren't weren't great, but they weren't wildly um, terrible. But the accuracy really dropped off, and you could see that when he's you know um, anything that was headed towards Edelman, it used to be on point. Mm. He had a yard; he might grab a few more, um, and it was that was more or less a mainstay for the past decade. Um, the same went for Welker before him, but the uh, the the challenge now was that Brady wasn't essentially making those same completions, um, and Edelman is that bit slower. He's injured. Mm. He's not played a full season. In fact, I think last year was his first full season since uh, twenty fourteen or something like that. So these problems started catching up. And when you wanted to see guys like Sunu, you want to see guys like Dorsett, you know, previous yeah. uh, first or second round pick, I think it was a first round pick. Um, you want to see these guys really explode and come onto the scene. Um, we obviously had Josh Gordon for a period, yeah. uh, AB, <laughs> you know, the, the, this, <laughs> hey, back, this, you know, there's, there's no talent and you see all these guys, you think, well, you know, if, if not productive, then they're at the very least talented. Mm. Um, and there was just none of them really stuck for one reason or another. Sometimes um, you couldn't really blame it on Brady, but I think in some cases it was quite hard to get into that that um, group. So perhaps we see something a lot more explosive and dynamic when we bring in uh, another quarterback. I'm sitting, I'm making arguments here. Yeah, I don't. I'm terrified. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, no, I'm trying to find the reasons to be positive, but it's, it's, it's worryingly hard. He's dropped Jamie, out now. Jamie. I'll believe that the Patriots, I'll believe the demise of the Patriots when I see it. It's like a movie when somebody gets attacked and they turn around and they fight the person off and, you know, they think they've killed them. And you say to yourself, no, put another couple of bullets in them. They're going to come back and attack you. I'll believe the Patriots are done when the Patriots are done. I think they're exceptionally dangerous. I think they draft well. I think they draft without flair or particular fashion. And if the Patriots go 12 and 4, I would not be surprised in the slightest. Yeah. I think the, the only thing that, yeah. that bugs me is I am not a Cam Newton fan. I don't like the persona, the hats, the costumes, the outfits. I think that detracts from the sporting thing. If you get sporting quarterback Cam, I think the rest of the division's in trouble. Can I just throw a spatter in the works? Are we sure Cam starts week one? Uh, no. but So, um, Belichick's not... I mean, it's not unknown for him to do that. Bernie Kosar, uh, Drew Bledsoe, yep. depending on which rumours you choose to believe, Brady right. know, not be signed <laughs> right. as, a, as yeah, a result of Belichick essentially saying it was over. Um, yeah. There was an awful lot going on when Garoppolo got dealt, um, whether they were actually trying to deal the other one. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I mean, it's totally feasible that Jared Stidham you know, he, he's out and, and that's uh, Cam ends up sitting on the bench. I think that could I would actually imagine that Cam may be released at that point because I can't imagine him wanting to sit around and be um, number two. But uh, yeah, it's it's feasible. I think it's unlikely though. I think the talent gap is pretty. Even even an older Cam Newton, the talent gap is still pretty cavernous between Cam and Stidham. I, I don't think there's um, much of a competition there. Interesting. I, I, on Paul's point, I. I, I firmly agree with that I think you were talking about the greatest co- head coach of all time I mean he is and I with respect to Shula of course who is close to my heart and Landry and 
uh, you name them, all of the greats are up there. Belichick is is the is 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 the most successful. He's the, he, he's the best head coach of all time. He's still coaching in our era. The idea, and plus he's got continuity on his coaching staff. Yes, there have been defensive losses, which will diminish year on year, but it was one of the best units of the NFL. So in the AST East, which is by no means the strongest division, it will be an incredibly competitive defense again. And without laboring this point, we know for certain that teams with a huge amount of transition, with new faces, with new uh, individuals in key positions, be it coaching, quarterback, you know, Brady in Tampa isn't necessarily a lot for the same reason that teams that have this continuity and stability and experience are going to have an edge. And the Patriots are the, are the poster boys for that. So I, I think they're going to be a dangerous commodity again. I, I really do. So I've spoken a couple of times. And as soon as Brady moved to the Buccaneers, I have talked and I've been dismissed by most, but I think he faces a huge challenge relearning a whole new playbook, a whole new team with a whole different right. setup where the Bucs are designed for attack on the width. Um, you know, yep. as fast, pacey, impressive wide receivers when he's just spent a year dumping the ball off to his running back. Um, right. and, and that's something he's <laughs> totally lent on. He doesn't have that one game in Tampa. He just doesn't have it. I actually right. think Cam Newton comes into this situation moving to the Patriots better set up for early success than Brady does moving to Tampa. And that's a weird thing to say because you look at the talent on that Tampa Bay wide receiver core, it's it's off the charts. It's unreal. Even Gronk being there helps. So there's a little caveat there. But you look at what Cam did in Carolina. Now, he had Christian McCaffrey and not much else, to be perfectly honest. He's got Sonny Michelle, James White. You know, Rex Burkhead's got a bad habit of turning up and getting touchdowns when you don't expect to see him on the field. <laughs> Edelman's that slot receiver that can come short. And any any issues with Cam's shoulder or his arm can be adapted for and worked around with the setup that the Patriots play. I think that Cam actually will get into his groove in New England quicker than Brady will get into his groove down in Tampa. And I think that is where it's interesting. It's a good point. Will he start week one? Because he's coming in that's not been that, you know, we're not going to have the preseason games. We're not going to have that time with the the squads being together. And actually, because they've had Stidham, and there's even an outside chance Hoyer, because although Hoyer's not going to win you a lot of games, it's Miami week one, um, and it's in Foxborough. So you think, you know, if you're going to face Miami at any point under who's going to be starting a quarterback, probably Fitzpatrick, um, then maybe you just go, right, Brian, out you go. Enjoy the experience. You're number one for this week. It's yours to lose. Crack on. You know, you've been a number one before. You've got that behind you. Go and make it your team and see what you can do. It's his to And lose. he knows the playbook. It's a great... Yeah. Hoyer knows that, you know, well, yeah. you know, relatively... <clears throat> he knows that he certainly obviously has a lot of familiarity with, with McDaniels and, and the kind of offense he wants to run. So that's a really interesting point. I hadn't considered that. Hoyer started week one. Yeah, it's so unsexy. But, uh, I mean, so that's... It's, it's not great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now we're down to six and ten. We've got... Yeah. <laughs> now we're six and ten. <laughs> Uh, the Jets still exist. That well, yeah. and you know exactly. what? Um, in the interest of time, we no, should the, move the, on to the Jets. But yeah, it, it's it's um, it is funny what you say about Brady, though, because if you the one thing that I would say, as much as I I will always love Tom Brady, is that outside of Randy Moss, he never threw a good deep ball. Right? It never it never has been the case. He was exceptional in every other aspect of the game, but he was never great throwing down the sideline. So. Um, it'll be interesting to see just what Mike Evans can do to offset that um, big, massive guy. 
hopefully that target helps him out. I'd love to see Tom Brady do well, but um, we'll just have to see. Yeah, I think I think I predicted a losing season when he first moved there. I'm not sure I still stand by that, but hey, <laughs> oh, wow. you got to go bold or go home, eh? Speaking of bold, <laughs> speaking of bold, let's move on to the bold jets. And Paul, I'm going to let you lead with this one. The winners, because we've not talked about this, the winners of the Jamal Adams trade are... Well, it's it's not the Jets. I'll let you into that little secret. That that's for sure. I mean, if you take it that he's gone to Seattle, so they're going to get a couple of picks, number round one picks from Seattle. Seattle are going to do well this year. So you're looking at what a pick in the twenties, you know, yep. possibly possibly two. So I mean, yep. that's that's not going to bring you much. Certainly not for somebody of Jamal Adams' talent. So and in this draft as well, right? I mean, you know, yeah. God knows what kind of college season if it's anything we're going to have. So, so I I, I just think point. I mean. When you start, though, and I think he wanted out, and when you start having a go at the owner, I think you can go have a go at your teammates to a certain extent. You can noise up the coaching staff. You start going after the owner, you're getting to go. And I think that that's what he's done. But I, I say I don't think for particularly good value, although, to be fair, the Houston Texans are going, oh, is that how you're supposed to do a trade for a good player? <laughs> Anyhow. <laughs> so, now... I'm, go- I'm going to make the case. Now, what, what works? Now, you, you've seen it, Jamie. You've seen it now. You've seen it, Cameron. When something works in the NFL, people copy it. And that's what the Jets have done because the Jets have gone out in the close season and they've picked up Lamar Jackson. I think it's a genius move. Now, the fact he's a cornerback out in Nebraska perhaps <laughs> might be the problem. But l- at least they've signed Lamar Jackson. I would have loved to have done the Jets press release for that one. That would have just been brilliant. Uh, I, I think if you're a Jets fan, you're looking at some, there's some there's some franchises across sport. You look at you know well you don't have to look too far. The New York Knicks, you know, once great, now hopeless. Washington, once great, now largely hopeless because the front office switch about too much. There's no ethos. The just the churn, the sheer churn. Now Adam Gase getting that job still remains to me a mystery because he didn't cover himself in glory in Miami. Now. You know, there's two sides to every story, and he would put his... He must have interviewed brilliantly well. Now, they, they lost their first four last season. They lost seven of eight. Now, if you want to sell them, they won six of the last eight, and that does take some doing. Right. Now, you know, Jets fans will point to that and say, actually, there's a, there's a little bit of promise there. Yeah, they beat Miami, they beat Washington. It wasn't good teams, but ask any NFL player. They'll tell you winning the NFL is hard to get no matter who you're playing. So there is a little bit of of positivity. And then the Jets do what the Jets always do. They drafted reasonably well. You know, Beckton coming in at 11, you look at their draft and you think, yeah, that's okay. And then they do something to take the air out the tyres. And that is taken away, arguably, you know, your most productive defensive player in the backfield, Jamal Adams, you know, for a promise of a better tomorrow. This league doesn't work on a promise of a better tomorrow if you want success in the season coming up. You know, you can build, and we talked about Miami, how, you know, they can get away with a bad year. A bad year gets Adam Gase out the door here. I think, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Now, we've got to come to you there because obviously, from a Dolphins point of view, Adam Gase went into Miami, didn't do an awful lot, ended up staying in division. When that appointment was first made, were you absolutely delighted? And are you delighted that he continues (laughs) to stay there? Or do you think he's actually getting a hard time and he needs to make this team his own and he can lead the Jets forward? Uh, It's a great question because I think my instinct is yes to the first two questions uh but i i take your point and it's a good one and it's a little bit like 
Bill O'Brien. I will defend Bill O'Brien here a little bit as well, that (laughs) things aren't always as they seem. And particularly when it is, in the Bill O'Brien case, absolutely baffling. I think there may be more to that whole situation than meets the eye. But with Gase, I think it is uh, not dissimilar that he is clearly uh, has talent and has demonstrated that to a, a, a sufficient degree, but that's been juxtaposed with uh, a lot of uh, issues at Miami. Increasingly, you know, he lost the locker room. He was confrontational. He's a dogmatic character. And look, we see all kinds of different coaches that apply a different style. I think a good example here is Matt Patricia in Detroit at the moment. That is, he's trying this style, and 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 it's not working. And it's difficult because you look at his trajectory, and not just at being a Belichick disciple and but how he established himself in that Patriots organization and interesting how he worked up through the linebacking core. And he was a guy that didn't play and was an unorthodox uh, choice, but won the respect of those players. And and, and I guess I'm saying maybe uh, has tried to apply the same things that got him to where he's got to, but as a young head coach, hasn't quite worked that out yet. And I think Adam Gase is probably in the same situation. He's clearly a, a, a brilliant football mind or at least a very good football mind, but he hasn't managed to put all the pieces together yet to be an effective head, head coach consistently. Is there a precedent here? Absolutely. Look at, look at, and I'm not at all making you reach here to compare Adam Gase with Belichick, but <laughs> Belichick is, is it coach who struggled for many years with a lot of the things Adam Gase does. Belichick was never still arguably isn't, um, you know, a, a, the, the most charismatic with the media, although I, I personally love his style there, but he was looking his Cleveland era difficult and not particularly liked and, and all these things that, that Gase it, it's fl- it flagged for And a lot of those things are cosmetic and ultimately immaterial as Belichick has proved uh, and then some right so I think the jury is still out I completely agree with Paul though if um, if the Jets have a bad season he's a goner I'm not sure that's necessarily the right way to play it and I remember really distinctly like five six years ago whenever it was when the Browns got rid of Rob Chizinski after one season and that was really a shock that you don't do this in the NFL you give coaches time you have three four years you look and and to the most part, that is still the case to a, to a degree, but it just feels like the NFL, like every other major sporting league in the world, you're getting less time, you're getting less and less time. And I think probably if they persisted with Gaze uh, and there was a front office strategy to, to mirror his vision, to, to Paul's point, he can build the team he wants, then I think he could be a successful coach. Is he going to get the time to do that? Mm, I'm not so sure he is. Yeah, it's interesting. Jamie, <clears throat> if you've got a player that's playing for you that wants a way, is there much point in trying to continue to hang on to that player? Or with someone like Jamal Adams, is it a case of get as much as you can, get in a Brad McDougald who isn't a bum by any stretch of the imagination, right. um, take those picks and, yeah, there's question marks about what will come, but then there's still, you know, those picks are still worth something, even if you don't pick up a player, someone else might want to. And actually it's playing pieces for the next couple of years that give you extra clout and collateral in those positions. Actually, is it an overall losing position if the strategy is about the next four years rather than the next two? So I think there was a really good point um, that made there about everything's not really uh, necessarily as you see it. So um, when guys get dealt, I think I have absolutely no doubt whatsoever that the, the hop trades there had to have been something going on in the back there. You just don't let go of arguably the best receiver in the sport um, for essentially junk. Um, so that I feel like that's definitely been the case. 
it's entirely feasible in this case. Um, I suppose it, it, it's hard to say from the outside, but if he doesn't want to be there, then that can't ever end well. He's not going to play as hard as he should. Um, you know, the, the end result perhaps doesn't look good in your franchise. It perhaps doesn't look good on him. You don't really want to be playing with that sort of thing. That If he wants out, just let him go. Um, I also think there's a level of... Um, almost a, a level of uh, authority to be gained from it. And it's not necessarily the case that, you know, you let go of one of these players and everyone uh, thinks you're excellent. But what it does say is essentially, if you don't want to be here, you won't be here. And that's quite a powerful message for the guys that do want to be there. Essentially, you're telling them this team is for the people that want to be here and want to win. So um, it's it's um, we'll see how it all turns out. I, I'm sceptical just largely because it's the Jets and the Jets going to Jets. That's what they do. Um, but uh, yeah, again, if they continue to make... So uh, it was mentioned the second they go up at the drafts, you know, again, going in, drafting the offensive lineman, it could be the case that there's a strategy there. It could be the case that um, the plan is to actually become a good football team. They're not interested in um, drafting the gimmicks, they're not interested in, in all of the fanfare that goes with New York. Maybe they actually want to to progress, but I mean, I, I hate no organisation in sports more than the New York Jets, and I would be delighted to see them destroy themselves for another ten years. Um, it would just be excellent. <laughs> what a brilliant point to end up on. Um, we'll move on from the Jets at that point. Uh, and what, before we get into the final team, just to line you up, guys, reminder that we are going to come and get your predictions here for how this division is going to end. Oh, right. Okay. So just keep that in the front of your mind. But I'm actually going to pitch it out and give you the answer. I'm going to give you a little booster because um, there's been four different teams have won the AFC East since the Buffalo Bills last won it. Even the Colts have won the AFC East in more recent time than the Buffalo Bills. you got to go back to 1995 uh. to get a Bills divisional title. Is there a more tormented fan base? And we talk about this being the Browns a lot. There's chat about it being the Lions. I think the Bills have got to be up there as one of those tormented fan bases. Those those Super Bowl defeats, you know, they, they hang heavy in Buffalo. And what a tough place to be. But I think with a little asterisk next to two of because we may not see him next year until Tua comes back and shows us what he's all about, shows us that he's fit. Josh Allen is the most exciting, enigmatic, and enjoyable to watch quarterback in the AFC East. And I think that we've seen growth in Buffalo. We've seen a sensible Buffalo. We've seen a Buffalo that's made it to the, you know, into the postseason two out of the last three seasons and but for a blip in 2018 when obviously Allen was coming in early doors um, they, they've really moved on and then they go and pick up a player like Stefan Diggs um, and actually Allen was starting to build the relationship with the guys there I, I pitch it to you guys that just looking at offense and forget the defense which is absolute baller um, just looking at the offense there it's Arguably, I think, one of the best offences in the division with an awful lot of exciting talent. Even Devin Singletary and the sort of play that he started, the game that he was coming into towards the end of the season, I thought was brilliant. Um, yeah, for me, this is an, an absolute non-contest. The Buffalo Bills are going to win this. And I would like to yeah. hear your arguments against it. I, uh, I'm i not entirely sure I've got So my fear largely rests with the Buffalo Bills. Um 
and I, I think to what Nat mentioned earlier, I could totally see Miami having a great sort of breakout nine and seven season. But I could absolutely see this division this year having three winning teams. Um, maybe the Jets even make a push for some sort of six and something record. Um, I just I have an absolute nightmare wondering exactly if that team plans out on the field like it is on paper, exactly how we defeat it because our roster at the Patriots is wildly, wildly under under capable of, of producing that sort of talent. Um, aside from Gilmore, really no one's left coming into the season on, on the defence that I, I think is is up to that task. You, I mean, you mentioned Devin Singletree that he's an outstanding running back. You watch mm-hmm. him run, he runs hard, he runs low. He's not going to be a guy who's going to bust out and give you 2,000 yards a year, but he's definitely giving you four and a half a carry and there's no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you add digs to the... Just, it, it does give me the absolute fear. Um, and... Uh, they have been getting better year on year and it's not something that um, is, is invisible to me but unfortunately we previously had that Brady guy and that gives you a little bit of confidence um, <laughs> that's definitely gone so so as we've already discussed <clears throat> it could be a it could be a fun year in the AFC East and they were already uh, someone will need to check the stats for me but I'm pretty sure I read uh, a couple of months ago I was looking at the standings and they already had by record one of the they were one of the best divisions in football so I think it's going to go up um, yeah worrying times worrying <laughs> times this used to be a great division I think the, I think the, the Achilles heel for the Bills is going to be their schedule it is tough they've got, a, they've got one of the toughest schedules I mean look at they've got obviously a lot depends on, on the Patriots and how competitive Miami are as well and, and I guess the Jets but outside of the division right they've got the NFC West and the AFC West right so they've got the Rams they've got Seattle they've got Arizona they've got San Francisco they've got Pittsburgh in the mix as well Denver who I think are going to be dangerous it's not an easy schedule for, for, for the Bills. So I, I agree with everything that, that has been said spot on with all of it. It is uh, the best overall roster in the division, no doubt. Adding Stefan Diggs is quite clearly filling, uh, fixing the weakest link from last season. I mean, Brown, uh, John Brown was, what, a thousand yard receiver, so, so decent, but but it was thin on the ground, right? Uh, and and adding one of the best receivers in in the league certainly a top top team receiver you know yeah they're, they're they're dangerous no doubt and well coached as well so yeah they're gonna be they're gonna gotta be the favorites but i think that schedule's mm, that's and you know what you, you roll into suddenly i mean it actually starts lighter which i think is a good thing right because they've got the tennessee in the mix as well right so but they've got the jets miami the rams and vegas those are their first four games then tennessee and kansas city if they struggle early doors, to say they're kind of, for argument's sake, you know, one and three, two and two, and then they got Tennessee and Kansas City, and suddenly they find themselves in a two and four hole, then it gets a bit interesting because the young team, young coach, you know. So this is what we were saying earlier about, I, and, and I hate to say this, but I back Belichick and McDaniels as a tag team every time in, in that situation. So a lot, I think, depends on a strong start for them. The one thing that might come down in their favour, Paul, um, when it looks at their schedule, is they do have tough games. Like, they've got the Seahawks, but they're they're not having to go to Seattle, which is probably a good thing. You know, they've got the Steelers, but they're not having to go to Pittsburgh. They've got the Steelers at home. The the venues that they're going to are Denver, are San Francisco, are Arizona, um, even Tennessee, you know. And you look at a a team like the Bills, and if you can... 
the Titans are starting to get into that position where you stop Derrick Henry, you can probably give a good chance of stopping them. Um, yeah. The Chiefs I, have given I, a lead on that. Yeah, I th- I'm, I'm with Nat. I don't. If they're not three and one coming out the first four games, they're not winning that division. Mm. I think they, they've so, got to go. They've got to go early. I think that the, the strength of schedule thing is always a funny one, though, because speaking from experience um, of you know a successful team, um, when you when you talk about strength of schedule, a lot of that comes down to. Um, worrying more about how good the opposition might be. And in actual fact, thinking back to all the years of the Patriots' success, it's not necessarily because they didn't lose the game against Kansas. It's not necessarily because they didn't get beat by Pittsburgh, even in Gillette, that happened. It's because they didn't lose to the teams that they shouldn't lose to. They didn't yeah. lose to to Buffalo. They didn't lose to Miami at home. Unfortunately, they lost regularly away, but we'll not talk about that. <laughs> um, they didn't lose to to even, you know, the Jets went through that period of success. And we split with the Jets so many years under Rex Ryan, you know, they would get us one of those two games. It wasn't because we were um, outstanding in the big games. It was because we, we were very consistent. And Buffalo, the way they're built, the way they're set up, allows them to do that. They, they play in a... Uh, a place where it will get cold in December. They'll be good at home. They're defensive. They're built to play that way. They've now added all these weapons. You know, th- their defense was capable of putting their offense in a good position before. Now you've got John Brown and Stefan Diggs on the outside. Like, Devin I, I just, it, when you look at it on paper, they're capable of, of winning despite a schedule. They, I, I could totally see the Bills going 13 and 3. Like, I, I think they could be very good. Okay. I think that's a really, really good point, actually. A really, really good point. And, and you're absolutely right. The way that this team is built lends itself very you know, much to that. Yeah, they lose three or four, Kansas City, Seattle, but they'll be clinical in the other games. It's a good shout. So in the interest of time, we'll wrap things up now. We'll move to the predictions. Now, what we're slightly kind here. We don't put you guys on the spot first, but we are going to get your far too early Super Bowl prediction as well. But we'll oh, lead with great. the divisional stuff. And <laughs> and I've already put up my number one, and I'm standing by it. So I'm going to go first, then we'll go to Paul, and then we'll work on from there. So I've got the Bills winning this. I've got the Patriots in second place with the Dolphins very close behind them. I don't think there'll be a massive gap between those two. And I've got the Jets outright bomb. There's only so much Lev Bell and Frank Gore can do. And Frank Gore could do a lot, even at the age of 97. Um, But it's just, (laughs) there is only so much he can do. So I think the Jets prop up the division. The Bills win their first one since 1995. Um, Josh Allen wins regular season MVP. No, I've taken it too far. Right, uh, Paul, that's a nonsense. Uh, how do you see this going? Well, I, I would put Frank Gore up against the COVID virus because he'd beat it. There's absolutely no doubt. He'd just run over the top of it. He just, you know, <laughs> persistence would take care of COVID. So I think that's what we've got to do. And I'll I'll get that message to Trump and make sure that gets put through. Um, I've said it already, so I've got to stand by it. I will believe the Patriots are not going to win this division when it's prized out their cold, dead hands because they just seem to have a way. So I'm going to back Belichick to say he's smart enough here and that he didn't panic about his quarterback situation because he's confident of what he's got in the room. I think the Bills will come next. I think the Dolphins will be a developing season. Dolphins are Jets for bottom, I think, will come down to two or three plays. I'm going to try. I I mentioned that I was slightly optimistic for the Jets simply because of what they had uh, towards the tail end. But I mean, that, that's a coin flip. Um, and if the Jets don't finish bottom, 
this year. They certainly will next year. So I think they'll, they'll have just enough. So I'm going Pats, Bills, Jets, Dolphins, but not by much. Nat, we'll come on to you. Okay, I'm going to have a... I think the Bills and the Pats, I'm both going to go... I'll go with records to offset me sitting on the fence here. Um, I'm having the both at 10 and 6. So, you know, kind of pick your poison. Who wins the division? Will the other be enough for a wildcard? Probably, I guess, with expanded playoffs. Uh, yeah, I, I think that the Bills will be competitive like, for all the reasons we said, but I think that record will, will sting them a bit and they'll lose a couple uh, outside of the really tough games. And uh, and I think the Pats will be better than, than everyone's saying or many people are saying. So I think the Finns at 7-9 and nine, uh, and the Jets 5-11. and 11. Great. And Jamie? Yeah, I was I was going to sit on the fence, but I feel like I'm just copying now if I do that. Um, I would per- perhaps have said uh, prior to all of the COVID call-offs, uh, 11 and 5 each. But mm. what I'm going to say now, I see the Bills win the division at 11 and 5. Pats follow at 10 and 6. Miami follow one game behind at 9 and 7. And then the Jets sit at 6 and 10. Um, so yeah, I go Bills, Pats, uh, Miami and New York. Great. There we go. Okay, now, far too early Super Bowl predictions. I want your AFC contender, your NFC contender, and your ultimate winner. And Jamie, seeing as Nat went first in the division, you get to go first, so he can copy you this time. <laughs> um, yeah, AFC contender, Kansas City. I'd, it's interesting, you know, just after the, the Super Bowl, I've, I've no idea why... Um, any time... I just don't feel like there's been enough fanfare about how good they actually are. Like, you watch them, they're just incredible. You watch them in the Super Bowl, you watch them in the FC Chat. Their ability to score is terrifying. And I don't know exactly what has happened that changes that. Um, I don't know who's going to stop them. So we'll go um, Kansas uh, for the AFC. NFC is a bit harder. I am going to say a resurgence for Sean McVay and the LA Rams. They're going wow. to reappear. Um they're going to reappear because uh, I'm more of a fanboy of Sean McVay than anything else. Um, and I needed to pick something out the blue. I feel like I've gone with the crowd on a lot of things. So um, Sean McVay to actually cause some sort of offensive explosion in LA. There you go. Right, okay. The Rams, I tell you, we've had some... So far in our predictions, we've had some unusual names. Anyway, our names I didn't see coming. They're not an unusual name. Just didn't see it coming. I, can, I, I thought Seattle, and I, I just dislike Seattle enough that I thought, no, let's annoy them. So Excellent. <laughs> I can jump on board with that sentiment. Um, and yes, that on to you then. You know, I'm hearing a, it's a really interesting point about the Rams. I am hearing quite a lot of, of buzz about them, you know, and how their offense is, you know, potentially going to change now now Gurley's out I don't know he, he was a, a more of a marginal factor last year than, than he had been in previous years but it, yeah I, I wouldn't surprise me at all if if they if they rebound and, and make the playoffs and they're a dangerous side incidentally if Sean McVay was here now he'd probably recant every single word we said across the show <laughs> verbatim that's uh, that's the kind of mind we're dealing with so yeah I would back against him um I'm with you 100% of Kansas City I think they are uh, quite clearly the best in show in the AFC. I mean, I think Baltimore would be good again, no doubt about that. Uh, but, it, you know, strength and depth, uh, you know, I, I can't see you know, anybody from the South realistically. Uh, the North, I mean, I think Cleveland will be interesting this year and I think will be a playoff team, but would you really see them going all the way with, with Baker? I, I, I don't. So, yeah, I mean, the Kansas City, a, a long way ahead, I think, of, of Baltimore, who are a long way ahead of everybody else. Um, 
in the NFC, I like New Orleans. I know there was this situation with Breeze, but I think you know that has has been diffused, uh, and I don't think it's going to be as uh, a fractious a situation as some people perhaps thought at the time. Uh, they just look, you know, a really really powerful roster. I think uh, I would 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 not be surprised if if, if there's still bowls between those two. But of course, given um, given how odd this preseason is, and and God knows what kind of logistical uh, season, uh, what kind of season we're going to have logistically in terms of just watching the first week of Major League Baseball and uh, and, and how that's twisted and turned. I mean, I think this is going to quite conceivably be a season where things that should happen in a normal world aren't because of COVID and because how the season is played out. So there could be a number of surprises that come on the blind side because of that. Yes, indeed. Right. So you've given your AFC and NFCs. Who's winning? I'll start with you, Nat. Chiefs or Saints? God, be, it would be a hell of a Super Bowl, wouldn't it? My home's pretty shootout. It would, they're over 100 points for starters, is what I'm saying in that one. Uh, I, God, who's winning? All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to nail my colours to the mask because I do really like the Saints this year. So I'm saying I'm saying New Orleans take it. Oof. Uh, and Jamie? Chiefs Rams. Yeah, I just can't just say. Yeah. I just, I see no, I see nobody that's going to slow them down yet. There you go. So that's, that's, I tell you what, a lot of people fancying the Saints so far. Um, mm. Brilliant. Absolutely superb, guys. Thank you for joining us. That's the AFC East fully wound up. You don't need to bother watching it now. <laughs> well, that's the full-time whistle then for episode 108. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Share your thoughts on this episode via Twitter, at ScotlandNFL, and on Facebook by searching for NFL Scotland. We're growing all the time. We need your help to keep that up. We appreciate every retweet, every share. Love hearing your thoughts on what we've been discussing. Next time, we stay in the East, but turn our focus to the NFC, as we will be joined by a couple of the NFL Scotland team to look at the division in a bit more detail. Thank you to Nat and Jamie for joining us. Thank you for listening and taking the time to share your thoughts. We'll be back next week, but until then, bye for now.